Hey everybody, Basil here. Pre-intro time. Yeah, it's the intro before the intro. Yeah, and this is Gons, and this is the pre-intro intro co-personality. <laughs> yeah! It's a technical industry term. No one wouldn't understand. Yeah. All right, so uh, here's the pre-intro where we Why tell you... Why are you whispering? Because I'm now in a place where I have to whisper. Okay. Yeah. Plus the pre-intro. You whisper in the pre-intro. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Hey, everybody. Whisper in the pre-intro. All right. So um, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. This is the part where we tell you about our awesome USB archive project that we're doing that you probably have heard about because I think we've mentioned it two or three times before. No, everybody. What? First off, we should tell people why it's been a while since our last episode. Oh yeah. Because of a lot of things. Yeah. First of all, Gons, Gons is a busy man. He is busy editing a film. Well, tell us about it. Yeah. Well, as most of you guys know, I was recruited by Tom Horn over at Skywatch TV to make the film inhuman that he's been working on since 2010. And so I'm in the final stretches of editing that film together. And, uh, hopefully it'll be done in the next few weeks and we'll be able to release it before the end of the month or whatever we'll have to see. But that is why I have been not so canary cry. Right. And I, as usual, have been running around the country and or countries for different purposes. But now <laughs> back and now we've done this and we're here. My reason and sounds more legit than your reason. <laughs> my reason is secret because the Illuminati is paying me. Oh, according to some of my, some, some of the malcontents. <laughs> um, anyways, we apologize for the lack of episode recently, but you know, this is what happens when we got to work for a living, like a, like a couple of, like a couple of regular dudes. But <laughs> again, this is when we talk about the USB archive thingy. Woo. I like your um, whisper yell. Yeah. There you go. And uh, as most of you know, we are putting together a USB waterproof, awesome credit card shaped USB drive that's going to contain the first 100 episodes as well as all of the flybys and not all, but a hand-picked selection of music from the episodes thus far. It'll also include all of the artwork and some notes from Gons and I about each of the episodes because, you know, things change. Sometimes they don't also. So that's a thing. Um, we have so to. So you'll get. Can I, can I finish? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so you get all that cool stuff on a USB drive. And, um, and what this is, is it's a gift for those, uh, awesome listeners who just feel the need to support Canary Cry Radio financially. And for those of you who are so blessed by the program, or feel that you've been educated or all those good words by the program and you want to support Canary Cry Radio with a gift of $15 a month, then you get this awesome uh, USB drive. And you can do that by going to canarycryradio.com, going to the support tab and clicking on the USB button. And you sign up with a PayPal or a credit card or something Something fancy. Now, one thing we have to make sure that, that you guys know, especially those of you who have already signed up, these USBs are not going to go out until the 100th episode is completed. Right. 
Right. So we had a couple of people asking, why has it not been delivered? And it is because we don't have a hundred episodes yet. You got to wait till the hundredth episode comes out, which shouldn't be long now, or this is number 98. So only two more episodes and those will be in the mail. You know, it's really kind of random and funny. What? This is some insider info. Right as we have been doing this, mm-hmm. uh, your elder person, your um, related yes. person that's your blood. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes my relative. Yes, your, your relative. You can just say it. I have relatives. I just have. invited me, literally just now, seconds ago, invited uh-huh. me to play Candy Crush Saga on Facebook. <laughs> yes just ignore it set your privacy settings a little bit better like i have and uh it's just great it's great there you go um okay exclusive material hi mom or dad or uncle or whoever did that stop it all right no more candy crush invitations and that goes for everybody everybody in the world at this hour Everybody listening, stop sending Candy Crush invitations over Facebook. All right. Okay. So there we go. Anything else? Uh, oh, and if you don't want to, you know, commit and sign up for an awesome USB drive, you can also go to canarycryradio.com to the support tab and make, a, you know, a donation in any amount that shows your love and your appreciation and your um, ability to help Canary Cry Radio continue. Because it ain't free. I mean, it's free for you. But, you know. Okay. All right. So, is that it? I think so. Well, let me just wrap this part of it before we jump into the episode by saying that we love you guys. We love you. Thanks, listeners, for listening. Jesus loves you, too. A little bit more than we do. Actually, a lot more. <laughs> But that's his fault, not ours. It's his fault. <laughs> All right. Well, we should get right. what Tim Alberino thinks about it. We should. Too bad we won't. Yeah, kind of. Just kidding. We will. That okay. and a lot more. Okay, here we go. Episode time. Ready, everybody? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Cue sound effects. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Are there giants on the planet today? So we're going to talk today about the root of history and the fruit of history. Now, when we talk about history, everybody thinks of secular history. Hundreds, thousands of books written from a secular perspective. And I don't want to be too harsh, but to me they lie. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Well, you're kind (laughs) and gentle. I'm telling you, they are downright frauds. The thing is, if you divorce a person from their past... You can absolutely generate or manipulate the future. And this is why the Word of God is so important to us. And this is why the attack on God is so fast and furious. And the hypothesis is these are Nephilim tribes which fled the Levant, fled the Promised Land 3,500 years ago. Listen to what the geneticist says. Whatever the sample label 3A has come from, it had mitochondrial DNA with mutations unknown in any human primate or animal so far. The data is very sketchy and a lot of sequencing still needs to be done to recover the complete mitochondrial DNA sequence. But a few fragments I was able to sequence from the sample indicate that if these mutations will hold, we are dealing with a new human-like creature. 
very distant from Homo sapiens, Neanderthals, or Denisovans. I am not sure I'll even fit into a known evolutionary tree. Are these tunnels connected to large caverns? Yes, these large bases are basically like this uh, Colosseum. Everything's underground. Everything's a city underground. Most of these uh, bases have uh, both have military bases and they have uh, all the accoutrements of life. Hey everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 98. 98. Like 1998, but not really. It's a good year. Yep. We've been taught in our history slash science classes that mankind is the only civilized species to ever walk the earth. Yet the Bible and many other ancient cultures tell a different story. What many today dismiss as mere myth may actually be our true history. And what many perceive as reality may be a facade, a cover-up, a grand conspiracy to keep hidden our actual past. And while the nefarious elite group responsible for the cover-up have done so in the world of academia and the downflow of information through the channels of institution, there are left locations and structures left open to be explored, which even they couldn't hide from the masses. Tim Alberino is the director and expedition leader for Gen 6 Productions. He's a researcher and explorer who spent 10 years living in the Amazon rainforest of Peru. And his interests include the Genesis 6 narrative that has giants, the occult, the Nazi regime, ufology, transgenics, and transhumanism. He seems to fit right in here at Canary Cry Radio. Don't know why it took him so long to get on, but here he is. Tim, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. How you doing today, tonight, uh, depending on, you know, where in the world you are? Doing pretty good considering the hour. Okay. Very nice. good. So, you know, I just got finished watching your film. And, uh, you know, before we get too deep into it, why don't you give us a little bit of a history about uh, just your personal walk and also... What got you into this weird part of, uh, you know, the human, the human history? Well, um, I am where I am today because I have been, uh, how can I say this? I want to say pursuing. I think the, the most appropriate term would be enveloped in a relationship with God and have been since I was a, a young boy. I had... Um, my father was a pastor of a non-denominational church. I was raised very well uh, by my father and mother and taught the truth of Scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, that lit the fire for the truth in me. Every believer, every true believer um, should be hungry for the truth on every level, not just, not just truth re- uh, relating to uh, niche interests that people have, but truth in a general sense. And I was very much uh, inspired at a young age to seek out the truth of uh, of whatever uh, of whatever was capturing my interest at the time, and and um, I guess I had sort of a, a journalistic inclination from a young age, and and so um, 
making a really long, complicated, unbelievably crazy story really, really short, I ended up in the Amazon jungle and um, had some very fascinating encounters, um, and uh, which I'm writing a book about, uh, trying to finish a book, actually. And, and then I ended up living, staying in the Amazon in Peru, in the uh, Amazon basin in the city of Tarapoto um, for some years, doing different things. Um, and then I came back to the United States um, while I was in, I should say, while I was in Peru, living in Peru, um, I came across a lot of Steve Quayle's work, a lot of uh, Steve Quayle's uh, investigation into giants and, and other things relating to Genesis 6. I was fascinated by it. Uh, Steve's work is obviously um, very high caliber in terms of his research, and uh, he's the expert on giants. And um, so when I got to the United States, um, to be uh, to be uh, to be <laughs> completely honest with you, I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but I got in contact with Steve. And again, to make another long story short, I ended up moving to Bozeman, Montana, where I live now, out here with out here in the same neighborhood as Steve, and where we started Gen Six Productions. And um, and we decided that Steve decided that he he really wanted to turn his attention to making films and doing video production. Um, he's continuing to write. In fact, he's got some other things in the works, which I'm not at liberty to talk about right now, but people will hear about them uh, before long in terms of uh, uh, literary endeavors. But he really wanted to get into the the videography stuff and filmmaking, and uh, so that's what we did, and we decided to, to start uh, naturally in Peru, since I was so familiar with the country. I knew the culture, I knew the people, and um, I know I know the language, and um, so I've got a lot of contacts down there. So it made sense to to begin our first episode, um, at least our, our first episode to feature Peru, which is kind of like uh, it's kind of like uh, I feel like it's my old my old neighborhood. So right. um, actually, the very first place we went was Sardinia. But that was for a preliminary sort of a deal. We wanted to check something out very quickly before we went to Peru. So the Sardinia stuff is coming after the Peru stuff. Um, there's there's another episode that's going to be still dealing with Peru. We broke it into two episodes because we we, ha we got so much footage and information. Right. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does and more. Now, you said, you know, Peru is kind of your old stomping grounds or at least in the neighborhood there i mean had you been interested in you know giants and ancient archaeology and sort of these sort of legends uh, before meeting good old steve or yes well I, I should have said i probably should have said that when i was a kid i wanted to be indiana jones when i was a when i was a, a youngster and uh that was didn't we all I, <laughs> and uh so um i also wanted to be han solo so maybe it was uh one, you maybe it was a harrison ford anything else so so anyways uh i was always interested in 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 archaeology never really did any kind of real archaeological studies or anything like that growing up uh just Tried to learn hieroglyphs and, you know, stuff like that. Was real interested in ancient Egypt. But I never really connected the dots that 
this stuff is really, really, really relevant to uh, Bible prophecy and to scriptures and to all kinds of things. And I was also very, very much enamored with uh, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, and then later on with uh, the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien before it became a blockbuster smash. And I think they destroyed the <laughs> the the uh, <laughs> the, I think that they destroyed the the the, the actual storyline of the books, but that's, that's completely for another subsequent. podcast. But, <laughs> but that sort of stuff, and, and it, it seems irrelevant, but it's not. It, it really is relevant because um, the idea of fantasy, um, this this the the, the idea of uh, centaurs and satyrs and fauns and and all kinds of mythical creatures and giants was very deeply ingrained in me before I actually came to the realization that that stuff was real. And so it was a natural, it was a, it was a natural, um, it was easy to move from the realm of fantasy to, to the realm of reality for me uh, with that stuff. So Right. Did you ever, you had mentioned you were, you know, in your time of Peru, you had some experiences. Is that related to something paranormal that you experienced or you know yes. did it prompt something that um you know obviously you said yes man okay <laughs> uh can you tell yeah, us anything was, or give us some you know just some small small snippets of what happened that that got you interested uh more so than just you know as a fan of fiction i can be vague um and ambiguous <laughs> um the, the reason why is, is is simply this because the the punchline of this of the story about what happened to me in the Amazon is so critical uh, to the narrative of my book that I don't want to give it away. Sure, um, I want people to get punched in the gut when they read my book, um, and uh, I, I, I it it it's really important to me that they, that the impact that they that they go through what I went through that they. And that that they get that gut shot in my book, and and when it finally comes out, people will understand what I'm talking about. But for now, it suffice it to say that uh, I had grown up in Christian circles. Again, I was raised very well by my parents, very godly parents. Um, but I was not a big fan of contemporary Christian society. Um, you know, especially when you're a youth and you're involved in churches and stuff, sometimes I should, that's actually being quite generous. I think in almost all cases, um, youth ministries tend to be, it's, it's like a, it's like a Christian social bubble where it's, it's, it's its own little thing, its own little world. And it's, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, it's kind of like a bubblegum reality and just not, you know, real sugary and sweet and fluffy and and i didn't want that i didn't need it um i didn't like contemporary christian christianity i wanted uh you know i was again i was i i was in narnia you know in my mind all the time and reading the chronicles of narnia and, and tolkien and and i always knew i had this innate sense that there was something so dynamic so fierce so powerful so real uh that that was eluding me somehow that was related to my walk with god related to uh, the scriptures related to this thing that we call Christianity, and um, and for some reason, again, it was eluding me, and, it, and 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 I felt like so much of what what we do seems so insubstantial, and I needed more substance. And ultimately, um, there were a handful of things that happened in my life when I was 18 years old that devastated me, and um, 
I ended up, long story short again, ended up launching into a, a quest to, to encounter God on a very dynamic level or die in the attempt. And, um, mm. and, and so I ended up, again, long story short, into the, in the Amazon, deep in the Amazon, you know, with, with that quest uh, burning in my heart. I wanted to encounter God. I wanted to have a burning bush, a very literal burning bush encounter with God. Right. And uh, that would that would change my life forever and you know and and I was willing to die for this. And sure. and uh and um without uh, without giving away the punchline, let's just put it this way, this this story that I have to tell in this book is unlike anything I guarantee that anybody has ever read. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that because it's true. It's a very unique situation that happened and uh, a very tangible, uh, mind-blowing uh, encounter took place that is going to surprise people. Now I'm picturing you like on a bridge with a knife, like doing that thing that the guy from The Predator, you know, where he like cuts a thing on his chest to fight the predator i don't know yeah <laughs> just, hey, i love that you know what questioning though? yeah ironically you're not really that far off in in the way you're thinking mm. and i'll have to just I have to just leave it there yeah <laughs> there yeah i think we i think we got as much as we're gonna get out of you with that stuff yeah. i think you've so, got more out of me about this than anybody else has. <laughs> good uh, yeah <laughs> Probably because um, it's eleven forty-one at night right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our trick. But yeah, our our methodology. Yeah. Okay. So very cool. So you know, you you had that yearning as a kid to really, you know, have an adventure, a spiritual adventure, not just a, you know, getting chased by tribesmen and jumping on a boat or on a plane as it's taking off, but you know, to actually really encounter the real, you know. The real deal, which I think actually, just to, as a side note, I think a lot of us secretly have that desire, but just don't have the, I don't know, just cling too much to our lives to really uh, do what it takes to have an encounter like that. So um, we're all looking forward to hearing the story. Yeah. Well, I think so, I, I think it's important also to say to kind of um, sum sum that up, that thought up is that this that's something that you know uh, that i think that you, you you have to you have to how can i say this um you have to be called it, it has to be the voice of god calling you to do something like that uh, in order for it to 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 come out good <laughs> let's just put it that way sure. and people are going to learn that lesson when they read my book Right, right. Well, very cool. Well, we'll we'll have to have you back when the book comes out, so we can really talk about the the bridge knife chest cutting <laughs> fight. <scene. laughs> awesome. Okay, so so back to your uh, adventure with uh, Steve Quayle and down in Peru, and really searching for what was it? What were you searching for? Uh, on the expedition, yeah. Well, we are actually, we, I mean, to be honest with you, nothing really, really, really specific outside of giants and, and ancient technology, stuff like that. But that's really kind of a very broad, people think that's a very narrow band of, of research. It's really not. It's really, really broad mm. because people have a misconception when they think about 
uh, the antediluvian world, they think it was angels, humans, giants, right? Those who can even swallow Genesis 6 for what it really says. Right. right. Um, that the, the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, were in fact the angels, which they were. Um, they, they get that far, and then, okay, there were angels, there were giants, but but that's but to be honest with you, that's just the beginning. It's the tip of the iceberg. There is a lot more than just angels, giants, and humans. Uh, when you really start to 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 get in there and start peeling back the different layers of this subject, um, you find a a complexity um, that is almost incomprehensible because you're dealing with first of all, you're dealing with entities whose whose uh, a capacity for uh, who? Let's just say this: whose whose quote unquote brain power, because that's how we would think of it in human terms, is is obviously far superior to ours. We're dealing with entities that were there when the laws of physics were put into place. Mm. We're dealing with mm. entities that were there when the molecules were coming together, when the when the chemical compounds were beginning to come together and, 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 and matter was being formed and the universe was coming into existence. They were there. We know because the book of Joel tells us that those same sons of God, those same benai Elohim shouted for joy. Right. When, when God created the earth, actually it was, it was Jesus, the yeah. creator. Jesus is the maker. Uh, when he, when he made the earth, uh, it, it was, it, it was a, it, it was something that was happening in real time. Um, imagine that. I mean, we can't. Yeah. But, but to the best of our ability, uh, these entities, these angels, are there with the Father and, and with the Son, watching this, uh, watching this happen. So that's their perspective. That's uh, that's the capacity in terms of knowledge in terms of understanding and let's let's be clear when we talk about understanding I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself but when we talk about understanding of the of the of the angels whether they be uh, the angels that are that are in league uh, still subordinate to the father or or are are reprobate and have fallen we're, we're talking about um we're talking about entities uh, and knowledge entities that have knowledge concerning not just concerning new age kind of uh, guru nonsense. Um, we're talking about entities that have knowledge, deep knowledge and understanding of the physical world, of physics, again, of physics and of, and of the cosmos and of what yeah. we would call technology. Sure. And yeah, that's, that's that heavy. was a disconnect. That was a disconnect in my mind for a long time until one day I realized, um, you know, until I asked a question to myself, what is technology? What is it? You know, we tend to think that uh, only certain things are technology. Only smartphones and televisions and the internet is technology and, and automobiles. But what about chariots? What about a sword? I mean, a sword. Mm -hmm. What in the world does an angel need a sword for? Those. That was one of the things that was uh, that perplexed me when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Why does an angel carry a sword? Why does an angel, you know, was, uh, obviously is riding in something, something that was described by the early writers as a chariot in some cases. Uh, what is that all about? Is it like a factory that makes those things? I mean, <laughs> do they go, I mean, is, are they equipped? Is that, yeah. I mean, and, then you, and then you keep going further and further and further into that thought process. 
and you start to and you know you start to 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 begin to unfold in your head is civilization and you say now wait a second all of this is indicative of a civilization almost like an angelic civilization mm. that super seeds and and uh, um human civilization um that it also uh precedes human uh civilization and so we're dealing with something um that i, I think that most people just can't even begin to comprehend because there's too many strongholds in their minds right um that they haven't yet that they're not even aware of, let's just put it that way. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when we think about fallen angels and, and, and uh, you know, uh, other beings and giants and things like that, we tend to only think about them in the context of humanity or in the context of human history. Precisely. So, yeah, that's a great point you bring up. It's interesting to, when you go through the scriptures and you have that sort of perspective of what is technology, and we tend to only look at technology as something uh, that the way we define it anyway is some sort of material good that we produce out of something else in order to help or, you know, have some sort of purpose to it. You know, um, in my view, it's strange because one of the first uses of human technology, I think, to some regard, at least after the fall, is when uh, Adam and Eve, you know, found that they were naked and they got fig leaves and they sewed, you know, coverings. That's mm -hmm. technology, you know, to try to solve a problem. Uh, but from the angelic point of view, the first thing we talk, we at least read about, is the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the garden, the tree of life. It's like, whoa! There's already a sword, a flaming sword that turns, um, and we don't really yes. think of it as technology that pre-existed. But there you have it. Well, yeah, it, and it seems to indicate that 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 we're just dealing with a sword, uh, an inanimate object, almost that's just sort of being driven around. Uh, by some kind of a consciousness. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it doesn't say it doesn't say necessarily that anybody was wielding that sword, right. which is very interesting. I think some of the pseudepigraphic stuff talks about uh, a certain um, certain kinds of angels that guard the Garden of Eden and stuff like that. But but that's a very good point. And, and let me just interject this um, a little. This is going to be kind of sort of a mysterious little thing for people, but um, it's eleven fifty at night, so I think it's appropriate. It, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's interesting to me when you stop and think about little details. We kind of uh, have just been taught to to sort of steamroll over the small details. That's one thing that I appreciate about guys like Chuck Missler who who pull out these tiny little details and, and then suddenly you're, you know, it gives you six hours of thought based on two lines in the in the Bible. Yeah. And and it's amazing. You know, obviously we all know about Adam and Eve, but you mentioned they, they made fig leaves it's amazing to me that they that they knew what particular organs they were they had to cover up. In other right. words, right, yeah. what organs were shaming them? Right. Wow. Something to do with their sexual organs had brought them shame, mm. and I think people need to chew on that a little bit. Oh boy! All right, everybody, uh, pause the podcast for about seven hours. Um, go ahead and think about that, and when you're back, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't put fig leaves over their eyes or their nose or their hands. I mean, it was. It was. They were covering what was what had brought them shame. Right, and that's a that's a, that right there is a rabbit hole. Oh, okay, yeah. so so pause <laughs> again, <laughs> and we're back. Okay, so. <laughs> 
now that we got that, now that we scooped up our brains and put it back into our ears. Yeah. Um, well, that's the, the, that alone it just shows, you know, what a different perspective that you guys have. And I think that some of that definitely comes in through the movie. Um, and, and just so, just so everybody is aware, we are talking about a specific movie. Um, it's called <laughs> True Legends Technology of the Fallen. And did I get that right? Yes. Boom. You'd be surprised. Episode, it's episode one in our True Legends, the documentary series. Uh, okay. And by the way, ep- it's an episode, but as you've seen, it's an hour and it's over an hour and a half long. So, I mean, it's, yeah. like, it's a feature film. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just like a quick, you know, uh, 30 minute TV program. Right. It's, it's a it's a full on documentary film. Yeah. So in the light, uh, you know, it's interesting after watching the film to hear um, you know, kind of these broader ways that you think about uh, things like giants and, and other beings um, in ways that other people really haven't. And it, you kind of approach the film in the same way where, uh, I mean, you really went through and talked to locals and uh, traveled around and kind of had like uh, a true adventure of the thing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where you started when you got to Peru and what was that journey like, not just physically, but even just intellectually? Well, we went to um, Puno. We started in Puno and Puno is on the uh, shores of Lake Titicaca. It's one of the main cities in Peru uh, on the shores of Lake Titicaca. It's you actually fly into Juliaca. And then you drive down from Juliaca, about a 40 minute drive from Juliaca to Puno. Puno's, Juliaca is sort of the, uh, let's just put it this way. Don't go to Juliaca. Don't stay in Juliaca. You have to fly to Juliaca to get to Puno. Unless, of course, you go by train or drive. But, um, Juliaca is just sort of the, uh, industrial area. And then Puno's the more touristic area because of Lake Titicaca, because of the, uh, some of the Inca ruins that are in the area. And we started there because it was an easy access point to Tiwanaku and Pumapunku, um, which we definitely wanted to go to. And also it's close to, it's actually closer to Aramumuru, which has for many years been alleged to be a stargate um, and uh, has been really inflated uh, as a, some sort of a sacred place by the New Age community. And since obviously Steve Quayle is is... Uh, got a lot of information about Stargates. I consider him to also be the leading exp- exer- expert on Stargates. And there's a, there's a lot of information that Steve knows about Stargates that he has never even said on the air. Um, but so obviously we're, we're very interested in, in, that's why I said when you talk about giants, you're dealing with, um, you're deal- automatically dealing with, um, well, you're dealing with, a a pre, a post flood as in the flood of noah a post flood reality and a pre flood reality and when you deal with the pre flood reality it's it's a can of worms i mean you're dealing with all kinds of stuff that's why we, when we say technology of the fallen we're, we're we're we are referencing all of the fallen and when i say all of the fallen i mean it's not just angels and giants and humans believe me there's all kinds of um all kinds of creatures in the mix sentient creatures in the mix um so can you give us some examples of that well (laughs) (laughs) yes uh yes i can well listen 
and and we'll just sort of um uh we'll just sort of weave in and out of the technologies of the fallen thing sure uh the of the documentary yeah please um uh basically basically um i've had a a let me preface this by saying i have not only been somebody who's been interested in certain subjects i've been drawn to certain subjects i would say i've been led to certain subjects and and when i'm led to certain subjects um it's made really really evident to me that those subjects the reality of those subjects let's say mm. the um um the truth uh behind uh some of these subjects and um to give you a a a very clear example um obviously the kind of paranormal stuff it's it, it's i call it paranormal but it's 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 the spiritual level kind of realities that that I can attest to from uh, my time living in Peru. Not only what happened to me in the living in the deep jungle, but also dealing with shamans and dealing with all kinds of weird supernatural stuff while living in Peru. Because we had a prayer ministry, and we 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 saw all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but also that's you know so I can attest and I can tell you, for example, I can tell you that demon possession is very real very scary thing mm-hmm. um, not because i've ever experienced it personally but i've 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 dealt with it and other people and uh, on very extreme levels and in peru and um and so that's why i can tell you that i haven't just researched that i know that to be true i've experienced it i've had that experience uh and and so in the same vein i can tell you that at a particular point uh, a couple of years ago a few years ago i was very heavily studying um for lack of a better term ufos and um on a different level than most people do most christians who look into the ufo stuff i think they come from a very strange bias to be honest with you um i don't think they're as open-minded about it as they should be uh and that inhibits some of the i think some of the information um some of the information getting to them right. so um uh so i was studying ufo's and i started um and, and when i said let me just let me say ufology because that covers everything and really heavily involved in in and in really intense deep investigation into um i should say i should say research into um abductions alien abductions implants that kind of stuff um, and then also the the hardware, the technology that has been recovered and reverse engineered. And yes, it has been recovered and reversed in, reverse engineered. Um, the technology involved, and then of course all the implications. And the implications are are, are massive and endless. Um, and so, in the midst of that, trying to figure out the propulsion systems, not trying to figure out, but but seeing what people say, reading the books watching the interviews, seeing what people say about the propulsion systems and, and uh, how these things actually fly and, 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 and the physics behind it. Very, very interested in that stuff. Still am to this day because it's just fascinating to me. But um, right in the midst of that, I was at my brother-in-law's house, my brother-in-law Tony, and we, we, were, we, we used to work out together and, and uh, talk about these things. He and I would, and he was pretty much the only one, him and another guy, my, my other friend Darren, um, we're, they, they were the only two guys I would ever talk about this stuff with, and and Tony and I would were, were particularly interested because Tony is a, a mechanic, and uh, and 
has dabbled in inventing things, and he was also very interested on in, in in what could what could the propulsionary system of these things be, and how do these things move around, and how do they stop, you know, and how how are they how are they able to be stationary in the sky and so forth, and so we would really be delving into this stuff and just talking about it and kind of comparing notes and ideas, and one day, um, in the midst of all of this. Tony and I decided to drive to, this was in Cleveland, Ohio, by the way. Tony and I decided to drive from Cleveland, where, where he lived and where I lived at the time, to a suburb of Cleveland called Brook Park, where I grew up. And uh, so uh, we were driving there. It was probably about, I would say, 9 o'clock, eight, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. It was dark. It was I think it was in February. It was in the winter. And we were driving to... Um, I forget, uh, some store to buy some, some supplements or something. And we came to the, and, and I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to give people a reference point because they might be able to go back and verify what I'm saying because I believe that it came out in the news. Um, we were driving towards the Brook 8 shopping complex in, um, in Brook Park, which I was obviously very familiar with because I grew up there. And we're pulling up into this, it's like a strip mall and there's this big, big um um parking lot there and it was pretty much empty because it was kind of it was kind of it was really windy actually it was really windy uh, kind of a bitter cold wind wasn't snowing or anything like that it was um, clear outside but it was very windy and as we're pulling up we happened to see this craft this big craft hovering right above the corner store on the shopping complex i mean it was probably only 20 feet in the air above this store so maybe I don't know, maybe 60, 70 feet in the air in total mm, um, in terms low. of its elevation. And it's just hovering there. And at first we thought, because there's a na- the National Guard is, is right close. At first we thought, this is some kind of a drill. What are they doing? And these bright lights. And, and it was the size. I thought at first it was one of those troop carrier or whatever you call them, cargo choppers with the two blades. Right. And um, one of the big ones, you know, you get like 15 guys in those or however many guys you can get in those. Um, I thought it was one of those, and I thought, well, maybe this is some kind of medical training, or maybe some kind of um, uh, some kind of a, a drill they're doing. That's the first thing we thought, and so uh, naturally we rolled down our windows because obviously a big chopper like that is going to be making a lot of noise that close to the ground, and but we didn't hear hear any noise, nothing. There was nothing, complete silence, apart from the wind, and instantly we looked at each other and we thought, uh oh. This is something interesting because we know enough about UFOs to know that most of the time there's absolutely no noise whatsoever associated with them. So we're pulling into the we we pulled into the into the into the uh, parking lot and this craft it it I stopped I like stopped in the middle of the parking lot I don't even know how I got in the parking lot I was just staring at this thing and and I just I I threw the car into park. And we're just looking straight up through our windshield, like like leaning back in our chairs, looking straight up in the windshield, as this craft moved from over the 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 store, and it just it it hovered, it just it, it gyrated the way it moved, it, wow. it 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 moved and it and it uh, it just hovered right over the car. Uh, that we were in, just literally right over it, and then it began to descend right over us. Oh! And we're just looking at this thing, and our jaws are dropped. I mean, we're just we we we're I mean, we're just in awe and shock looking at this. We were just talking about you know uh, uh, 
um, classified, reverse engineered technology, blah, blah, blah. Right. And suddenly here we are staring at this thing. And it, it was, and it's not just, it's not just some blip in the sky or some light. It's like 50 feet above our heads and descending slowly over us. I mean, I, uh, it, it, I can tell you what it looked like. I mean, it, it, first of all, it had triangular lights. The lights on it were triangles. Hmm. And, uh, it was, there, it had blue and green lights. And, it it was it had no propulsionary system to speak of no propellers and it didn't have any wasn't making any noise at all and it wasn't like a harrier jet where you know when it takes off um, from a stationary position it blows the cars out of the way and stuff below it nothing zero and you know, our windows were rolled down we were listening there was nothing and it was it had the most it, 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 stealthy looking body armor armor I got the distinct sensation that it was a military craft no markings of any kind though obviously didn't say u.s u.s air force on or anything it was the size of like a jet at least and but it didn't really have wings it had like little stubby things but they weren't really wings obviously Mm. it wasn't built um it wasn't built to fly like an airplane and it was it was it was it was it was almost triangular shaped but not so much it's very difficult i've never seen anything like it in my life and and this thing is just hovering over us, and it's obviously massive, you know, and it's just there, stationary, just slowly descending over us. And um, and all I, all I could say was, over and over, was, Tony, we are looking at some classified stuff right now, and I probably didn't use the word stuff. I mean, this thing <laughs> is just descending over, the, over us, you know? I mean, right. I, I mean this, this is classified uh uh, technology hardware right about above our heads right now uh, and we're just gawking at this thing and we and it was like 30 seconds just kind of hovering over us and almost as if it had to be there like something was compelling it to be right over our car so that we could get a good long look at it mm-hmm. and and for anybody that's wondering i've never taken any drugs in my life never <laughs> a pot. and uh i don't say that to brag i just say that so people know i was i i was and, and have been always very um um very salient in in mind and thought and and this thing just sort of eventually it kind of went back up in the air and hovered away over the horizon towards the john glenn space center no you said it was descending about how close did it get descending down on you guys it was very close to us i mean it wasn't like right on top of the car but um, it was like, I would say, I'm not really good with altitudes. I would say it's probably, it was probably like 50 feet, 40 feet above us, maybe even 30 feet at one point. Whoa, that's it was really close. close. I could see the body armor on this thing. And, and, and listen, um, most people have seen the movie Batman Begins. Um, and then that, that, um, trilogy of the Batman, the new Batman movies. Right. Well, in, in the movie, he's got the Batmobile. Um, in that movie, it's like that armored tank thing, remember? Mm-hmm. And it's got that body armor on it. It's got that, it, this had greenish gray. It was like a green gray tint, this thing. And the body armor on it was just like the Batmobile in those movies. It was, it was like that angled, like square paneled, but I can't even describe it. People can just Google the Batmobile. Look at the body armor on the Batmobile. And that's like what this thing had. And uh, I'm very convinced that it was military. I'm very convinced that it was classified. And we were not supposed to be seeing it, according to, you know, probably, uh, obviously, according to, um, as far as the military was concerned. For some so reason, it was there. 
So you don't think necessarily it was extraterrestrial or traditional, I, you know. The distinct, the distinct um, intuition that I got about this thing, and my brother-in-law um, um, also felt the same, was that we were looking at, in real time, looking at, right above our head, reverse-engineered, highly classified technology. Wow. Yeah. Using a highly advanced propulsionary system. And there is no doubt about that fact. This thing was using a propulsionary system that is obviously not supposed to exist. Right. And wow. you can call it, you can call it anti-gravity. You can call it whatever you want. Whatever it was, it's light years beyond where we are today in terms of driving around these, um, um, Jet cars, gas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, combustion. Yeah. It was, wasn't using any combustion, no propellers, no sound, no propulsionary system to speak of. Wow. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I have a book that's written but not edited and not going to come out anytime soon at this rate. Um, but it's basically about the whole secret space program. And I've looked mm -hmm. into a lot of that. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is some of the quotes by Ben Rich, who was uh, the head of Skunk Works for, I think, the late 80s, early 90s. And, um, you know, he, he sort of hinted at some of the technologies they have and, you know, he, people were saying, oh, he was just being tongue in cheek, but at the same time, you know, why would you say stuff publicly about, you know, uh, we have technology to take ET home, stuff like that, like pretty, right. pretty, pretty outrageous sounding stuff. But it seems like, you know, there's, there's some stuff tied back all the way to Tesla that he may have discovered some of this sort of, uh, you know, tapping yep. into this sort of technology, um, actually, you know, what's interesting, what I found when I was researching for the book was that Tesla's, one of his goals was to actually create a aeroplane, a, a anti-gravity aeroplane craft. And he actually has a patent for one. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it, you know, you look at the image and, and whatnot, the sketches, and it doesn't, doesn't look like a conventional, you know, UFO or anything like that. It's more of a, more, it looks more like a steampunk, you know, uh, airplane bicycle type of thing. But, but, mm -hmm. you know, it was using that same, sort of anti-gravitic, uh, electro-gravitic propulsion system, or at least theoretically. So I I'm, I'm convinced they have tons of stuff that we would just be floored when we, if we saw. Yep. yep. So, Richard Nolan calls it a breakaway society. Breakaway civilization, right. or, or, yeah. or breakaway civilization. And uh, Tesla, Tesla was actually getting a lot of his information f via the occult. Yep. That's and right. he was actually, he was actually um, um, very likely, and I, I even believe he admits to this, uh, was in contact with entities that were giving him information. Yeah. That's what people need to understand. When yeah. we talk about these entities, entities is a very general word. It's very appropriate, though. And in fact, aliens is actually a very appropriate word, to be honest with you. Um, they, they have technology okay so let's go off on a little rabbit trail here for a minute they've got technology they've got let, let's deal with this thing that i saw above my head um and the reason why i told that story is because i was talking about i've, I've i feel like i've been led to i've been led to certain things in my life and then shown that this is true look look up this is true you mm -hmm. know what i mean it's like right there in front of your face this is true right and um, and so I can say without a shadow of a doubt that we've re re reverse engineered somebody's technology that does that's not our own. Um, you don't go from driving around in horse-drawn buggies to flying around in uh, electro-gravitic or whatever it is craft in 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 just a hundred years. You don't do that. That doesn't happen right. unless you're given information and schematics. 
and you're told how to do things and you reverse engineer stuff. So that's what happened. And um, I forgot, I actually just lost my thought, the rabbit trail. Oh, yes. Um, so basically, consider this these craft flying around for a moment. Consider these, these, these aeronomical uh, vehicles that are traversing the skies, and they are all the time. Um, people stop. So some people tend to just stop there, and they'll say, and they'll they'll do something that's really comfortable, and they'll do something um, that is um, convenient, and that is they'll take the Nephilim stamp and just stamp it Nephilim and move on. Mm, yep, Nephilim. Right. That's what that is. It's a Nephilim, and then kind of move on. I can't do that because mm-hmm. it it it's it's not it's not um um it's 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 so complex that that's a little bit disingenuous mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And uh, because you have to think about something, okay? It's not just spiritual stuff. It's not just fallen angels turning into, you know, shape-shifting into ships and stuff, I mean into flying saucers. Maybe that's happening on some level. But that's that's not what this is about. This is about nuts and bolts hardware. And I would point people to the the secret programs that the Nazis were working on. If you're not convinced that it was nuts and bolts hardware Mm -hmm. and find out where they got their nuts and bolts schematics from. Right. And and for some of what they were building. So if you've got nuts and bolts hardware, again, going back to this idea that angels have. Uh, technology, and I'm not saying that those are fallen angels or anything like that either. I think it's even more complex than that, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, that these vehicles, these aeronomical vehicles, these UFOs, as they're called, where are they being manufactured? And that's an important word. Mm. Manufactured. Where are they being manufactured? Who is building them? Uh, you know, it's not, it's, they don't just poof come into existence because these things crash and there's pieces and parts. These pieces and parts have to be fabricated. Mm-hmm. Where are they being fabricated? Okay. Step one, step two in the thought process, who, who the heck is fabricating them? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then step, you know, and, and, and so that leads you to step three, which is again, this word that is so crucial. I believe for people, if they want to really unravel this stuff, civilization. Mm. What civilization is doing this? And <clears throat> I don't believe that we're dealing with, um, you know, for example, that the gray aliens are from Zeta Reticuli, like they claim to be, or that the, you know, that there's aliens coming from the Sirius star system or, or, or something like that. I believe that these things have their origin right here on this planet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, but, but at the same time, at the same time, I think that room has to be left in one's mind uh, for the possibility of bases and uh, perhaps even cities that exist on other planets at this point, but I believe the origin is here hmm. and uh, to a degree, to a degree in a certain sense. Um, and, and I'll reference Phil Schneider. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people are familiar with F- Phil Schneider. Are you guys familiar? Yeah. Phil Schneider. Yeah. The, the whole story of his uh, encounter and, and um, did, did he pass away? Oh, he was murdered. Oh, he was they murdered. Choked okay. Him. They, they tied his hands behind his back, beat him and choked him with a cathode. Okay. 
All right. And that was supposedly, right, right, right. supposedly he did that to himself, by the way. Yeah. yeah. After, okay. After yeah. 13 attempts on his life, they got him on the 14th. And this guy was, I mean, he was shot at, you know, it's like a movie. They, they, they would gunfights in the street to kill him. And he stayed alive long enough to, 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 to do a lecture circuit for a year or two. I believe just one year, actually. He was friends with El Bielik, and El Bielik test could testify to the fact that, yes, they had tried to kill him a number of times, also some ex-FBI guys. And um, <clears throat> there's, no, there's no question that, that somebody was trying to kill Phil Schneider when he began on his lecture circuit. And, and Phil Schneider, for people who don't know who he was, he was a geologist working for the government. And he was involved in building the underground bases, the DUMS, the deep underground military bases. He was actually building them um, for the United States, but also, but also um, for and in conjunction with a global government. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and so <clears throat> he actually was working on, I believe it was the base. Uh, they were adding a a chamber to the Dulce to the was it the Dulce or the Groom Lake? I don't remember. It was somewhere around there, um, around New Mexico, Nevada. I can't remember if it was Dulce or if it was Groom Lake. Yeah, but he, Dulce they, is New Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were building, and and he and he was in charge of blowing out the chambers um, with the explosives, and and so they would have to plant them real deep into the ground. And you know, he actually had certain kinds of uh, um, shaped charges. He had patents for shaped charges. So the guy was a genius. Now, if you listen to him speak he, he he doesn't have the gift of of oration but but uh, he's a genius at what he does and um and basically um so he's more like a mathematical um geological guy and basically long story short with Phil Schneider he had to go down and you guys know the story he had to go down and yep. and check out why the drill was coming up all bent up or whatever and uh, there was a foul uh, stench coming out of the earth, and they were dr drilling like miles down into the earth. And uh, so he went down there. He had to be in an environmental suit because of the atmosphere, because of the environment that that far beneath the surface of the earth. Went down there with I believe it was with a, with a green beret and as security. And when he got down there in the deep chambers of the earth, he encountered a a race of creatures. Yeah. That he described, I believe, as being something like seven feet tall, looking like kind of like the gray aliens, but being taller versions of those ones. And, and their weapons were implanted in their chest or something like that, I believe. Yeah, one of them waved its hand in front of its chest. And, and first he describes the, the, the foul smell of these things and how dis, dis, di, disgusting they were to look at. And one of them waved its hand in front of its chest and some kind of, a, I think he said it was a blue beam came out and, 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 yeah. and toasted. It toasted him. And and um, actually, uh, not before he was actually able to fire off some rounds with his pistol, and killed a couple of them, as did the Green Beret that was with him. And so, so we're talking about more mortal corporeal entities. We're not talking about fallen angels here in this particular instance, and we're not talking about just spiritual creatures. We're talking about entities that, if you put a a a, a bullet into their brain, they're going to drop dead. We're talking about corporeal, mortal, physical creatures, sentient. Right. And and so he engaged these things, and and one of them, after he killed a couple, obviously it 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 toasted him with whatever it did to him. Gave him cancer, by the way, later on in life. He had cancer before they killed him, um, and uh, and also burnt off a couple of his fingers. Right. And he's got the scars, and uh, 
And he's and, and by the way, Phil Schneider walked around with hard evidence of everything he was saying. That's why he had to be killed. Right. And and so that's and, and I and I absolutely believe that that story is true. In fact, Steve Steve Quayle was one of the last people to talk to Phil. Not many people know this. Steve was one of the last people to talk to Phil before he died. Um, uh, in terms of in an interview kind of a setting, he I don't think he ever got to interview him. I think it was a pre-interview phone call. And Phil was going to go on Phil on Steve's show back when Steve had a, a radio show. Phil was about to go on Steve's show when they killed him. Right, mm. and not many people know that, but that's wow. true. And Damn. so they 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 smoked him before he went on <laughs> Steve Quayle's show. Wow, right. And, and 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 they killed him, and 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 again they they choked him with they tied his hands behind his back and tied a catheter around his neck, and he slowly as, as fi- was asphyxiated. Now, when you yes. talk about these beings that he encountered, so you know what is your understanding of what they are or who they are? Well, it's so complex. I can't claim to have any kind of significant uh, understanding as to what these things are. It's very complex. I can tell you that I believe that their origin is in the pre-flood world, mm. that we're looking at technologies and entities that are not futuristic science, science fiction, but are much more, um, they have much more to do with the past of this planet. Mm. And, um, and I think that's borne out in, 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 in a lot of different, uh, in a lot of different um, places, including the writings of the, the occultists and which I don't, suggest that people go and, 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 you know, get heavily involved in reading the writings of Aleister Crowley or right. um, H.P. Blavatsky or Ellis Bailey, people like them. But the truth is that these entities have been telling us who they are for a long time, um, at to a degree, because they're always lying. That's the thing about these, these creatures that come from the kingdom of darkness, which they all do. Uh, they're liars. They're liars by nature. Right. They lie. And um, so, you, first of all, you can't ever believe 100% what they're saying. But, um, you know, I have a postulate concerning um, uh, concerning this kind of stuff. I mean, we, we only know I'm, people. I, I, it really bothers me when people simplify things that are really complex and oversimplify things that are really complex. Not simplifying for the sake of understanding, but over, oversimplifying for the sake of, again, taking that... For example, that Nephilim stamp and stamping it on there and, and feeling like, okay, that's what that is. We've got the answer. Now let's move on. Sure. Right. Uh, that really bothers me because, again, I, believe, I feel like that's disingenuous. Right. And, uh, I mean, when you look at this planet, when you look at the earth, uh, the earth, the Bible says that, that, that this, this, is but, this is but a shadow of, of reality, of, of what really exists. And, and so we look at the earth and we look at the way that the maker that, we, that, that God creates and we see how many different kinds of, of insects there are and how many different kinds of plants there are and how many different kinds of mammals there are. And we see the, the abundance of life on the earth. This is the fingerprint of the maker. This is, this is the fingerprint, um, of the way that, that the Lord creates. And, and so we, we have to assume, and I think it's safe to assume and also to infer that since this is but a shadow, whatever this is shadowing is even more complex, is even more grandiose, is even uh, more intricate. In other words, there's even more different kinds of life, mm-hmm. more right. colors, more, um, you know, 
more uh, a, a complicated physics or however you want to think about it, uh, uh, however you want to look at that, from whatever angle you want to look at that, it's more complex. Right. And, and I think I think it's safe. To, I think we're entitled to that inference. It's more complex. And and so when I talk about oversimplification, people tend to just think, oh, it's God and the angels. Mm-hmm. And then it's the four beasts, you know, around the throne. And uh, and then, of course, there's seraphim and cherubim. So there's like five different kinds of things going on over there. Yeah, I think that that is a, a, a radical misconception that's really giving us a hard time now um, in terms of theological thinking. I, I think when we think about, and it's hard for us to think about something that we can hardly even comprehend, but the earth is a shadow. So we can get an idea, you know, when you look at your shadow, when you're standing and it's on a sunny day and you look down at your shadow, you get an amorphous shape of, of you, right? Mm-hmm. You can't see what color your eyes are. You don't know how, what color your hair is. You can't see the skin tone. can't see the, you know, the freckles on your skin or whatever. All you get is an amorphous shape of you. Well, the earth is an amorphous shape of something, again, far more complex. So this thing that is far more complex is going to have a lot of life going on, a lot of creatures, a lot of entities, a lot of sentient things going on. And, and I would go so far as to say civilization. And I'm not talking about necessarily aliens and stuff like that. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to more of a heavenly realm, more of an angelic sort of realm. And uh, so we're not just dealing with angels and demons and the few things that are mentioned in between. Right. We're dealing with a complexity that we can barely fathom. Now, in that spirit of uh, not oversimplifying things, the number one explanation that we have for giants and this sort of uh, myth or legend or ancient uh, existence of giants the number one thing that we have from a lot of researchers, um, or at least some big ones, is Nephilim. Now, in your adventures and your research, uh, j- just to switch back to the movie for a moment, where do you stand on that? Are you, are you just leaning towards Nephilim or perhaps some other sort of explanation? Well, the term Nephilim is, uh, or Nephilim is very similar to the term angel. Um, it's like saying in, in to a degree, it's like saying mammal or even worse. I, I, I would even say it's like saying animal. Mm. Um, um, I, I, I think that the word Nephilim probably refers to both the fallen angels and their offspring. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's kind of an ambiguous word, but, uh, it, it's easier to think of them. It's easier to think of this stuff as hybrids. That's probably the easiest way to think about it. Um, the fallen angels, according to the Bible, left their original estate. They came down. They left their Okatarian, by the way. They left their bodily form, and they came down, and they obviously mingled their seed with the with the daughters of human beings. And we know that that produced giants. The Bible says that. And, of course, the Book of Enoch and other, um, and other pseudepigraphic and... Uh, um, and um, um, apocryphal works, and um, and also <laughs> nearly all the major, um, all the, all the le- uh, nearly every major civilization on this planet that has existed has had a legend dealing with this episode, this Genesis six episode, right. um, which we talk about in the film. And so, but that it doesn't stop there. It didn't stop there. 
The Bible says that all flesh was corrupted. And if you take a look at that in context, you realize that it's talking about genetically corrupted. All flesh was genetically corrupted. And, um, and how does all flesh get genetically corrupted? Well, we get some more information outside of obviously the book of Enoch. If you look at the book of, of the giant, of the book of giants, which is, was also discovered, fragments of it were discovered with, among the Dead Sea Scrolls. You find out also that these, uh, these 200 watchers selected for themselves 200 animals, 200 beasts with which to copulate. Mm. And, 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 and the result was all kinds of stuff. Living, breathing, sentient stuff. And, uh, you know, each angel, I'm sure, had its own nature, was an individual, had its own uh, traits. And so you take 200 of those, and then you take 200 different animals and just blend it all together. And, and what you've got is, what you've got is a genetic mess. And, and the truth is that, um, many people have, have, have raised arguments. Concerning this, I think they're very weak arguments, um, and I think people need to start thinking a little bit deeper about this stuff and getting past some of the surface arguments. Like, like people often say, "Well, if women gave birth to giants, I mean, how could normal-sized women give birth to giants?" Well, I mean, if you're able to accept the first part of that story, that that number one, angels exist which obviously God exists and the devil exists in the whole situation. Okay, you get past that part, and then you get to, to the next part, which is they came down to the earth and they had intercourse with women. I mean, so you've gotten that far already, right? They, they, these things, somehow they were able to do all that. So um, it's, 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 it's really not that big of a deal, I mean, to, to figure out how they might have, uh, or at least to speculate about how they might have given birth to, the women might have given birth to giants, the human women. But one thing, it's, it's, it's most likely, in fact, I would say, it's 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 probable it's highly probable that um these guys were not just copulating they were also um they were also genetically manipulating stuff using again technology yeah um they certainly knew about it and again they they, they were there these same sons of god same word in the old testament the benai elohim were there when god created everything they know about genetics yeah. they know about life they know about how things work they know about physics and so either the giants were born as normal size and their growth was accelerated maybe these fallen angels by the way again we're dealing with intelligences that my god we would all look like um um retards you know in the in in terms of and and excuse the term but we would i mean we would all look very stupid um if we were to try and match our intelligence with some of these other things out there both right. both both um, heavenly entities and fallen entities. I mean, we're not even on the same level, intellectually speaking. That's yeah. why the knowledge and wisdom of, of man is, of fallen man is actually quite pitiful. Yeah. Um, and actually, I'm glad you went to that, you know, connected it back to where we sort of started the conversation out in Job 38, where it talks about, you know, the sons of God shouted for joy when, when you know, the creation was put together and everything, uh, specifically the earth. But, you know, it really does, I think you drive home the point that God created things in order. You know, there was this order to it, each after its own kind. And part of the rebellion was to just 
mess it all up, you know, to jack up all the order. Yes. And it, it, it yep. makes, you know, I, 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 you know, conceptually I understood that, but I think you sort of put it in terms that, you know, makes even more sense because, you know, as you said, if these entities were there at the beginning, when God put everything together, when he put the laws of physics together, when he put even mankind together, you know, if they were there to see it, uh, obviously they would have a, an understanding of genetics. They would, uh, you know, th- that's, you know, all that stuff would be sort of chump change. And of course so, would. Yep. so the, the sort of uh, manipulation would be piece of cake. And so the war, the, the spiritual war that we talk about, you are very much bringing it down to the physical level. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to, to hear you say all that. But that being said, I have a question and it's regarding sort of the other side of things. Uh, you know, we have the fallen technology that, that we've been kind of touching on. And I, <laughs> I've explored this in, in the book that's, again, I keep re- referencing the book that's never going to come out. But I explored this idea in the book as well, and I have a video on it uh, somewhere on YouTube. But uh, in Psalm 68, it talks about God's chariots, the chariots of God. And it talks about there are twice ten thousand thousands upon thousands, and it talks about it. It's um, it, it dwells in Mount Sinai in this, uh, the Mount of God in, in His abode and things like that. Now most people have you know have just stated, oh, it's just um, you know, a spiritual description. Uh, these horse chariots, kind of in the spiritual realm, uh, but uh, I kind of tend to think that maybe even God and His angels. Obviously, if the fallen have that technology or that knowledge, there's a good side to it too. What are your thoughts on that? Um, complex. <laughs> right, yeah, I know it's it's, it's different um, and it's challenging to it, people because it, they. Let me just finish with this because you know, when I made uh, Age of Deceit, the first one, Fallen Angels in the New World Order, the basic understanding that I had come to was that you know these UFOs and and everything people were seeing, if they weren't government you know, built craft, they were fallen angel and fallen angel technology and even more simplified. And I know you didn't like, you don't like the simplified, but I think at the time it made sense for a lot of people. It's demonic. You know, it was a sort of broad. Oh, well, that's not, a, that's not, to me, that's not a simplification of it because when you say demonic, you are, um, you're identifying the nature of it. The nature. Sure. Yeah. That's not, sim- that's not simplifying it at all. It's important. It's essential for people to understand that it is demonic. Mm-hmm. But as long as they understand that when they're using the term demonic, they're not necessarily describing anything definitive. They're mm, describing right. the nature of something, sure. the collective nature of something. You know, we have a problem as the human race. I, I say, I say it's a problem. Actually, I do consider it to be a problem because of the fall. Uh, we have a, we only have, we are confined to a human perspective. Mm-hmm. We're confined to a human perspective and we therefore have a, a sort of a human philosophy at everything that we consider and look at. I mean, it's not really our fault because that's what we are and we're confined to this kind of a mindset. Sure. But we, but that, that actually tends to be one of those strongholds in, in, in people's minds that I'm, that I referenced because you've got to get away from everything revolving around the human race because everything in the universe doesn't revolve around us. The truth is that everything in the universe, all things created, uh, both seen and unseen, revolve around 
the Son of God mm-hmm. revolve around Jesus, and that's biblical. Mm-hmm. All things were made. This is see. This is this is a this is a scripture that will blow your mind if you really consider it. Uh, all things were made uh, by Him and and through Him. And I don't know if this is the right uh, uh, order. All things were made by Him and through Him. But here's the one that should really blow your mind: were made for Him, for Him. All things were made for Him and Him specifically, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, for Him. In other words. Um, the Father saw fit, number one, to create everything through Jesus or with Jesus, however you want to look at that, but, but definitely Jesus through the Son and, and, and to make everything for him. You often heard it said um, in Christian circles, I've heard this said so many times in different sermons and, and so forth, that they ask the, the rhetorical question, why is their beauty on the bottom of the ocean. Why, why is there flowers and, and, and colors and magnificent beauty on the bottom of the ocean? And the answer that I've heard more often than not is because God loves beauty. But that's not really the, the most, um, uh, in my mind, theologically correct answer. The, the best answer is because it's there, it exists for Jesus. The truth is that God loves his son more than we could possibly comprehend. And that's something that has been lost, I think, in, um, I think in, 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 in modern Christianity is, is, is the dynamic of how much the Father loves the Son and sure. how much the Son loves the Father. And that is a, that is such a crucial thing. But so we have this very, um, humanistic perspective on everything. So it's hard for us to, to imagine a world in which we are not around a world in which we don't exist because we feel like everything revolves around us. Sure. Uh, and it doesn't, it all revolves around Jesus. It all revolves around the sun. And, and so, and so before we were, before we came into existence, there were these sons of God. And I believe that term is important to understand. That's, that's, that's almost like an affectionate term. Um, they existed before us. They were the firstborn um, uh, obviously the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, but in terms of, in terms of, I mean, the Bible also, um, uh, indicates that angels and at least in some cases look like us, some kinds right. of angels look very much like us, uh, or at least can look like us. And so they were around before we were, and what were they doing before we came along? Again, here's this humanistic perspective. We can't imagine angels having any kind of a function whatsoever if we're not around. But obviously, that's not the case. It can't be the case. So, um, again, we come back to this word civilization. So right, you're talking about, yeah. is any of the technology good? Well, yeah, it has to be. It has to be. There has to be some kind of civilization. Uh, the angels in heaven are enjoying the Father. They're enjoying um, their existence. And, and the ones that have fallen and rebelled against God are ruining uh, the day they were created. Mm. But the ones that are, that are subordinate to the Father are enjoying their existence. They're, um, they're, 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 some of them, at least we know, are messengers and are involved with, with us, with the saints, uh, to a degree. Um, but they were, again, they were here before us. So that, again, that calls into question, um, 
this idea of civilization and um, the notion that there was something going on before we came along, which should be logical, in my opinion. It should be just a, a logical inference. There's something going on before we arrived, before we were created. Are we unique? Are we special? Absolutely. The Son of God, for whom all things were created and through whom all, all things were created, chose to come. He was sent by the Father, chose to be obedient, and came and and suffered the cross for us, not for angels, not for any other kind of created thing. He suffered the cross for us, for our race. Right. And, and you can be assured that that fact alone infuriates the other fallen entities that have no hope of salvation whatsoever. And right. yet we, we, the feeble weak-minded, unintelligent, and to, and, and, and to a great degree, very stupid, intellectually speaking, us, our race, we are so cherished by God that he would give his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But, but the caveat is that you have to be a human being. Right, yeah. You have to be a son of man. In other words, a, a, a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. There is, there's, there's no other salvation for anything else outside of us. That's why um, it really puts into, into context people rejecting Christ, what they're really rejecting. They have no idea who and what they are rejecting. Yeah, amen. That that puts it into quite the context, and uh, I would I would definitely agree with you. And and you know I think you've encapsulated a lot of what we've explored, and and you know the sentiments that Basil and I have on the show. But specifically, yeah, it would make sense. This the notion you keep bringing back to you know this idea of civilization. I would imagine that the when God created Adam, um, a whole civilization was upset about that and i think perhaps the serpent was a representative of this civilization that you know uh, came in and did what he did but this idea of son son of god uh sons of god plural too it's very interesting and in my research i've found that the the title son of god is definitely uh something that is related to a direct creation of god and um not to be mistaken for jesus who is the only begotten son of God. But also, if you look at Luke 3, if you go down, it's got, you know, the genealogy all the way, it goes backwards, you know, up to Adam. In the last verse, verse 38, it says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so Adam was a direct creation of God. And so when we are redeemed, this, this, the reason why we are redeemed and, you know, because we have, we also have the title, Sons and Daughters of God. We have, you know, all the scriptures that talk about how we are saints and how we're, we're going to be co-heirs and stuff like that. I think our intentional place in the hierarchy, the, uh, uh, Dr. Heiser calls it, the, calls it the divine council. Our place in that, where we're supposed to be, is quite high. Uh, but because of this jealous civilization, we took a fall, and that fall is literal. We literally fell, and um, you know th those concepts are very interesting because it, it brings a, a, a sense of literalness, uh, I guess, to the whole idea of the man, you know, falling from grace and stuff like that. It's 
it's it's fascinating and and the way you kind of depicted the whole gospel right there was uh, i mean it's powerful you know it's powerful because you're right when people reject christ what they're really rejecting is their rightful path to where humanity was supposed to be in this grand creation of god so yeah, it's very powerful stuff man it's a tragedy of the human condition as we as we know it now the human condition is sin and death it's that philosophical question. I'm actually writing also a book called The Human Condition, which who knows if I'll ever finish. But it, because everybody talks about what is the human condition? What is the human condition? Well, it's it's sin and death. That's what the human condition is. Yeah, it is sin and death. And um, the thing is that you're right. We, the Bible says we were created a little lower than the angels. So our estate before the fall was very high, and um, man's. Uh, uh, man was not what he is now. I mean, we're a shadow of what Adam was. I mean, uh, Adam was absolutely perfect. There wasn't a single genetic flaw in Adam. God didn't create him imperfect. He created him perfect. Adam was a Adam was the prototypical human being. And the story of the gospel that escapes so many people, because frankly, I don't believe that most ministers even understand it yeah the, the, i'm not saying they're not they don't they're not they haven't received christ i'm just saying they don't really understand the depth uh of the of the gospel this the story of the gospel is a story of rest um of of not only of being rescued from our sins but 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 being restored mm -hmm. to what we were to what we were created to be it is a story of restoration and rectification and not just the restoration of the human race um, for those in, who are in Christ, but the but the restoration of nature, which which fell into death because of us. Mm -hmm. We're the wrong. We we're the ones who brought death into the world. And uh, something that escapes uh, many believers is the very notion that death itself is wrong. Mm -hmm. Death is foreign. It's invasive. Mm -hmm. uh, death is not natural. We're taught in school that death is a natural part of, of, of life. Nothing could be further from the truth. Death has nothing to do with life. Death came as a result of sin. It's, it's not natural. We reject it because it's not natural. We came from Adam. Adam was deathless until sin. But the great, the, 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 the good news of the gospel is there is a rectification for your condition. There is a restoration to what you lost. That's why Jesus came. And by the way, that's why he had, that's why he had to wear our flesh. Mm -hmm. And this is, then this is something that a lot of people have no clue about because, uh, because I think there's, again, let me use the word strongholds. I think there's some theological strongholds that hinder people from understanding some of this. That it took me many years to actually break down and a lot of wrestling and, and staying awake at nighttime. But it's, it's, it's this issue of Jesus. The Bible says, he, the Bible describes Jesus as wearing our flesh. Mm -hmm. He knew our condition. He had to wear our flesh. He had to know our condition because it was the curse of sin from Adam. So listen, even if you <clears throat> were somehow able to be a achieve per moral perfection and you never one time ever transgressed in the slightest way, the slightest thought, never sinned ever, you still are carrying the sin of your father Adam.
you're still carrying it. And, and, and you know how I know? Because you're dying. Death itself proves that we have a problem. Mm. And, and so sin, uh, the wages of sin are death. And so Jesus had to become, he became the second Adam. He is the second Adam. He had to wear the, he had to wear our flesh. He had to take on the original sin of the human race, deal with the sin of Adam that we ourselves could not deal with. Remember, people could be forgiven for their trespasses, even under the law. They could be forgiven. They would have to go get the, the doves or whatever and go sac- do the appropriate sacrifice. They could be forgiven. We know that's the case because of Abraham's bosom. We know that those who died before Christ died on the cross, the, the guys like Abraham and the fathers of the faith um, were in Abraham's bosom. They were awaiting something. What were they awaiting? They were awaiting the cross. Yeah. They were waiting for the cross. And why? Because here's, here's something that, that, that will blow people's minds, but it's so simple. It's written right in the scriptures. Jesus, how is it that Jesus had the power to forgive sin before he died on the cross? That threw me for a loop. And he did. Remember when mm-hmm. he, well, remember when he when they lowered down the para, the paralyzed uh, how do you say that the, the, the paralyzed uh, paralytic the, the paralyzed guy yeah. <laughs> and uh, they lowered him down and Jesus looked at him what did he tell him your sins are forgiven you and the Pharisees murmured and they looked at each other and they thought how, who is this man that he can for, forgive sins who does he think he is and Jesus's response was to prove to you paraphrasing um, to, to to show you to demonstrate that the Son of Man uh, uh, has the power to forgive sins, he looked at the guy and said, take up your bed and walk. Or, or has the power not only to heal, but to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And of course, the guy stood up and took up his bed and walked. So Jesus could forgive sins before he went to the cross. So what was he dealing with on the cross? Well, he was dealing with sin in general, yes, but he was dealing with something very specific. The sin that could not be dealt with by any by any mere human. And we're, we're talking about original sin, the sin of Adam. And guess what? Paul tells us that we wear it. We're literally wearing it. Our bodies, Mm. our bodies of sin, we wear it. And so Christ had to put that on and he crucified it to the cross. And, and he paid for what we, we, what the law could not cover and what we couldn't do. There's nothing we could do. And the, and, and we know that the law couldn't, uh, wasn't wasn't rectifying that because of Abraham's bosom, which Jesus Himself describes, right? With the with with the with uh, uh, the the rich man and the poor man, Lazarus, uh, who was in in uh, the the poor man. I think Lazarus was the poor man, and the rich man was in hell, and they saw Abraham's bosom. And who was in Abraham's bosom? And Abraham's bosom was in the 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 part of Hades that was not for affliction and, and was not basically, let's just put it in simple terms, was not the jail part of it. Right. It was a pleasant place. They were waiting for the cross. They were waiting for Jesus to finally rectify the sin of Adam. Their personal sins had been forgiven, but the sin of Adam had not yet been dealt with. And so Jesus dealt with it. And then what did he do? He went, he took the keys of sin, he took the keys of death from the devil. And what did he do? He opened Abraham's bosom. He, they were waiting for him. He opened Abraham's bosom and he took them to be with him in paradise. They were waiting for the cross for Adam's sin to be dealt with. So the gospel is so deep and dynamic and it has to do with everything. Everything. The, the gospel is at the root 
of everything, especially when you're talking about human beings uh, in comparison with and dealing with non-human entities in right. order to understand who we are and in order to understand uh, how that works uh, and the dynamics that are involved there, we've got to understand the gospel. And even something that I think a lot of people miss, and we've talked about this on the show, but the idea of a virgin birth, you know, that Jesus did take on human flesh, and so that sin nature, the sin body was there, uh, but he couldn't take on the Y chromosome of Adam, you know, the, the fallen nature that comes from Adam. I actually believe he, I actually believe he had to be a son of Adam, and he had to carry that, the, 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 he had to carry that same body of sin that we do. He did not sin ever. Jesus himself never transgressed the will of his father, but he carried what we're carrying around, the same kind of body. The Bible says he knew our afflictions. Right. And, and, you know, Jesus was hungry. He was tired. You know, when they whipped him, it hurt. I mean, it, he carried our fallen state, our fallen bodies. He carried it and he crucified it to the cross. Right. And he dealt with the sin of Adam. And, uh, yeah. And that's, um, yeah, and, it's an amazing and, thing. And, and, you know, you were talking about, I think, 1 Corinthians 15 and 45, it, it talks about, you know, the first Adam was a living being, the, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It also talks about the second Adam in that same uh, passage or a couple verses later in 47. So, you know, these aren't, you know, if, if the listeners, you know, I think our listeners are familiar with some of this stuff, but uh, if you're not familiar, it's definitely in the scriptures. And, and you know, the whole redeeming redeeming of our bodies is part of this, and um, the whole "Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting?" Uh, that's you know a, a, a prophecy that is fulfilled upon our you know twinkling of an eye. You know when everything, the last trump, when we the, when we put on in, immortality ourselves, uh, that's an event that's coming. And you know uh, to tie it back to some of the stuff we've been talking about before, do you think that um, some of these other entities, because they know? their destination so to speak um what do you think that they're uh in terms of you know yes they're trying to corrupt and we talk about transhumanism a lot on this you know on the, on the podcast too but do you think that they understand you know what is in store for humanity in terms of it's redemption, and then so are they trying to stop it? So what are they trying to do? It depends on which ones you're talking about. See, here's that complexity again. Mm. And let me make a quick point before, I, and I want to get into that because that's very, very interesting and provocative subject. But um, um, let, let me say this: you mentioned, G, you know, Jesus is the second Adam. Obviously, Adam was the first Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. Well, whose genetics do we have now? We have Adams, don't we? I believe we're going to get Jesus's genetics when we when when we're resurrected, and I don't mean we're all going to look like Jesus. We're all going to have our own personal genetic markers. But Jesus is the second Adam. Mm -hmm. He resets the human race. Right. I believe Adam was made literally in the image of Jesus specifically because we know that God is a spirit. He dwells in in, in unapproachable light. Um, that's why you can't make a graven image of God. He has no image. Right. The express the only image that he has the expressed image his expressed image and likeness is his son. So if we were made in the image and likeness of the Father, guess what? We were made in the image and likeness. Uh, we were made in the image of Jesus. We were made um, uh, in his image specifically, in Jesus' image, because he is the expressed image of the Father. And so it's amazing. When you talk about restitution, when you talk about the restoration 
of our race and of what we were meant to be. And then you, you realize that Jesus is the second Adam. He in himself resets it all for us. He resets what we were supposed to be and even greater because he became one of us. Guess what? We have an advocate. We have an advocate who is human. I mean, he's, he's, he's divine. He's, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of man. Right. Yeah. And that is an, that is an absolutely perplexing thing yeah. and wonderful thing. So now to get to the other, um, the other issue is, um, yeah. So you mentioned something really interesting a little while ago that most people wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole, but, uh, you talked about there being possibly, uh, some kind of a civilization here that was maybe jealous, uh, of, of the human race when God created Adam and Eve. And so that's that's a I, that's a very healthy line of thought, in my opinion, and it opens up a lot of possibilities. And these are very very interesting possibilities. But among them are is this whole idea of a pre-Adamic situation. What was going on? Was there other sentient things mm-hmm. around um, before Adam and Eve were created? I mean, of course we know that that is true because we know that the you know, angels were around. And of course, the word angels is very generic. There's all kinds of um, um, heavenly entities that were sentient. And when I say sentient, what I'm talking about is intelligent. They were conscious. They had the, the ability of, of self-reflection and, and they could speak and understand. And, you know, they had all the faculties of the human race and, and, and into a greater uh, capacity. So certainly, obviously, we were not the only sentient things around. So now you just have to take it a step a step further and say, okay, is it possible? Two things. Number one, were there other entities that were around that were fallen and were sentient? Yeah, I think the answer there is simply yes, and obviously mm. yes. Then take it another step further and say, were there other entities that were not fallen that might have been around on the earth, but that were not human? And the answer to that question is, I don't, and my, my answer is, I don't have any idea, hmm. but, but, I, but I'm allowed to ask the question. Yeah. And, and I do ask the question, and I think there is a lot more going on uh, than we think. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible says that, that the serpent was more cunning than any of the creatures that God had made. So is it possible that that serpent was some kind of a serpentine entity, or was it the devil himself, or... Was it an entity that was influenced or possessed by the devil or made some kind of a bargain with the devil? One thing is for sure. Satan was involved in the Garden of Eden. That's unquestionable because the Bible calls him the dragon, that serpent of old who was in the Garden of Eden. Right. So, so definitely the dragon, the serpent is associated with Satan, with the devil. There's no question about that. But that does not rule out the possibility that there is also a serpentine entity that was either influenced or possessed uh, somehow or in some way, in some manner, by the devil. Um, and I'm not saying I know one way or the other, but again, I think we're entitled to those questions. And anybody who says we're not, I think, are, are being foolish, to be honest with you. Yeah, and you, right. it's a really compelling thing that you brought up there, that the question of were there other fallen races or civilizations before mankind— and that brings a whole nother sort of perspective on the Ezekiel 28, uh, you know, the whole fall of, of Satan, if you will, you know, how he was a, 
uh, guardian, anointed guardian cherub. He was placed on the holy mountain of God. He walked among the stones of fire. I mean, he, he seems pretty up there uh, in abundance of your trade. You were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. And I cast you, uh, uh, cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And, uh, you know, Oh, guardian cherub, he's, he's thrown down, you know? And so definitely there is this fall, this almost the same fall that we took almost, but there's no redemption for these other beings or creatures. That's no a really redemption. compelling thought. Yeah. And a really frightening thought for them and it infuriates them. And yeah. that's one of the reasons, if not the primary reason why they despise our race. Mm, yeah. Now you mentioned, um, a serpentine being or whether the devil took the form of a serpent or inhabited a serpent or the serpent maybe was in league with the, with the, the, the enemy himself. Now I remember in the movie that you, you had seen a pillar of some kind, like a stone pillar with mm -hmm. a, a sort of serpentine figure on it mm -hmm. that you, you paid a little bit of attention to. Now, in your journey down there in mm -hmm. Peru, um, I mean, do you make any connection there, or is that simply just a, I, a bit of archaeology? Yeah, that you're referring to one of the monoliths in the sunken temple. Um, that particular monolith is carved out of sandstone, and interestingly enough, we know it was ca carved by some um, indigenous populace or, 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 or somebody before them, it's a, it's a, it's a man with a beard and mustache. And in, 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 in generally speaking, overwhelmingly speaking, Indians don't, natives don't have beards and mustache. They can't grow them genetically. Um, so, uh, uh, that's in and of itself is very interesting. On the side of that bearded man is a serpent. And of course you have the, the, um, you have the legends of the serpent god, the plume serpent gods of the Maya, Aztec, and Inca. And these were, were allegedly, these were god men who, um, who were said to be bearded men with blue eyes and, and in some cases blonde hair. And they taught civilization and, and to a degree technology. And it's amazing that all of these cultures has this in, in Peru, they call him Veracosha. The, the Inca used to call him Veracosha. And to the Maya, he was Cucucan. To the Aztec, he was Quetzalcoatl or Quetzalcoatl. Some people pronounce it that way. And, um, and, but in every case, he is depicted, at least in, 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 he has a form of a bearded man with blue eyes most of the time. And he also has the form of a plume serpent. So who he represents is, some people actually try and say he represents Christ, which is very doubtful to me. In fact, I, I don't believe that that can be the case at all for a number of reasons, but he's even portrayed, Quetzalcoatl is even portrayed almost as if he's being crucified on an, on an Aztec cross, which is interesting. Hmm. But I think what people need to understand is that right after those civilizations, especially the Aztec and the, and the Inca, something happened. The Spanish came. And the Spanish came bringing a very uh, demented and bastardized form of Christianity, which yeah. came out of Rome, obviously, which was a bastard bastardization of the gospel. However, nonetheless, the gospel came, and uh, it wasn't uh, preached uh, in the spirit of the, the apostles, and it, and it was, again, bastardized, but nonetheless, I believe there was enough seeds of the gospel that they were 
but by the by the hand of the Holy Spirit took root and and so I think that some of that some of the uh, what was going on was a preemptive thing happening in the Americas to to preempt the coming the arrival of the gospel and already sow confusion and discord and deception before the gospel arrived. One thing. That's one thing. Right. Another thing. Another thing. And if people watch my analysis on the um. I can't, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, <laughs> the um, um, uh, Exiles of Atlantis, I think it's my fourth installment of the Plume Serpent um, um, series that I did on the Albert Analysis, and that's on YouTube. I, 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 I postulate something I find very, very, very interesting and provocative to think about, which is the notion that um, is it possible, is it possible that for number one, there is high technology in the past, and when I say when I say the past, I'm referring to the antediluvian world, the world before the flood of Noah. And when I say high technology, I'm talking about uh, flying machines and submarines and stargates and you know high technology advanced beyond what we have today. Um, and was there high technology? And is it possible that something or somebody escaped was able to escape the Earth either? Either by going underneath or getting off planet uh, before the flood occurred, and the reason I believe there's room for that postulation is because the Bible specifically says that God destroyed everything that He had made. Well, if if you really want to be literal here, you can ask the question: Is there anything that might have been alive or that could have existed at that time or that did exist at that time that God did not make? Hmm. And the answer is yes, because the, the, the giants, for example, were not sanctioned by God. They were not supposed to exist. He did hmm. not authorize their existence. He did not make them. They came as a result of insubordination. Um, on the part of the fallen angels. So, so yes, if you want to be literal about it, the answer to that question is yes. There were entities around, and not just the giants, that were what I call unsanctioned beings. They were not supposed to exist. They were illegal. They came as a result of insubordination, and they, I believe they, have, they were in possession of high technology. Were they able to escape? Did, did any of them get away um, well, we know that there were giants before and after the flood, and some people say that, no, that's not true, and others say, well, yes, it is true, but it's because somebody, one of Noah's sons or, or, or um, daughter-in-laws were carrying the seed, were, were carrying the defiled genetics and brought them to the other side of the flood, and other people say that there was a second incursion of the whole... Um, mm -hmm. Episode, which I don't believe because the first time we got really, 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 really big giants. And even the Inca, and we cover this in our documentary, even the Inca knew. How did they know? How did the natives in Peru know that the giants before the flood, the great flood, were larger than the ones after the flood? How did they know that? But they did. We prove it in the, in the documentary. We show the historical documents that prove that they did know that. And, um, and so what was going on? I mean, there, there's this, this, this ancient Indian uh, legend about the Naga uh, civilization of serpent people. Of course, we know about the, uh, the Vril, the Nazi lore, and the Vril right. society. I mean, in the, in the Vril 
culture, the real civilization um, that was supposed to be living under the ground that were that were that were serpentine-like entities. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you guys mentioned uh, the whole thing about the Garden of Eden and the serpent. It's interesting that one of the judgments on the serpent was that he would eat the dust. Mm-hmm. He would eat dust all the days of his life. Mm. Could that be a veiled reference to the fact that he would be confined, that that race could be confined, would be henceforth confined to the bowels of the earth? That's very mm. interesting. Wow. Beneath the surface of the earth. They would eat dust. They would be beneath people's feet. They mm. would not no longer have the authority, no longer be permitted to inhabit the surface of the earth. Um, I yeah. think it might. Yeah, that's powerful. And, you know, <laughs> it's funny. You're, you're, you're tapping into areas of Genesis 6, refocusing some stuff, because um, it's been a while since I, you know, had, a, I guess, a new paradigm or, or a shift, a small shift in paradigm in terms of looking at some of that. But uh, Genesis six seventeen, I think it talks about, I will bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. And so anything above heaven uh, is not mentioned, but then everything right. that is on the earth shall die. And, you know, it, if, if the sons of God, you know, these entities and, and the morning stars and, you know, presumably even the fallen ones, to some extent, if they, the capacity of their existence was somehow, you know, they shouted for joy when God created the earth, they weren't on the earth yet, right? So they were sort of looking at it. Then is it possible that they were, you know, they can exist? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if space is <laughs> like too literal, but, but, you know, it's kind of, a, you know, I'm just kind of brainstorming and thinking out loud here, but no, I see where you're going. I, and it, I, I agree with you. Okay. So again, there are, you know, uh, and we don't, I don't necessarily buy into all of what Zachariah Sitchin and stuff have suggested, but you know, they do reference some Sumerian text. I know it's sort of sensationalized, but they have suggested that perhaps there are, you know, some who got in a craft and, and, you know, left the Earth's whatever uh, atmosphere or something during the flood. So, so that that kind of possibility is there. But um, sure. it's very it's very fascinating that you bring sort of a. Uh, and you know, it's not entirely new for me, but at the same time, it's it's interesting to look at some of this in in, in a new light uh, to some respect. And um, but when you talk about these um, some of these megalithic structures that you sort of you know, I know you kind of looked at some of it in Peru and and um, and throughout your films. Uh, what, what were those built for? Like, what, what was the purpose of making them, and what was its relationship to man? What was behind the agenda? Well, the megaliths, um, again, we're dealing with pre um, a pre-flood civilization in many cases. When you look at some of these megaliths, that's what people have to keep in mind. And depending on which ones you're talking about, I think that there's some that are obviously pre-flood. And they could have been built by giants, very possibly built by giants. Uh, certainly, um, certainly uh, giants would have had a much easier time building them. And, but, but, but it's not just about carrying, you know, big, big, uh, a cumbersome, oafy giants carrying big rocks. I mean, those guys still, whether, whether you're a giant or not, you still have to be able to cut that sucker out of the, out of the rock, out of the mountainside with, with the kind of precision that they were doing it with. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't right. just clumsy giants with clubs and hammers, you know, again, heaving around massive stones. You're still dealing with intellect, amazing intellect and technology. 
and we went to um we went to Pumapunku because uh, first of all it's just a fascinating megalithic site and it was so close to Puno and right on the border of Peru that we decided that that was definitely something we wanted to do but another reason why we went there was because um Pumapunku and Tiwanaku in general has been used uh to really bolster the ancient astronaut theory and so um we wanted to ha- go and ha- do our own analysis of what's going on there and and you know from a from a uh, Genesis 6 kind of perspective now let me say right off the bat here before we get into this that people ask the question i see it all the time you know questions this question always pops up uh a lot of times after i'm done <laughs> talking on the radio with somebody is so aliens don't exist question mark or so aliens do exist question mark <laughs> That's always a question. One of those questions, or a variation of that question, is is always persists. Yeah, yeah. And 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 my answer to that question is yes. I mean, what does alien mean? It means it, the, really one of the definitions for alien means it's 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 not us. It's not us. It's not human. It's not. Uh, it's different. It's alien from us. Right. And so yes, the answer is yes. Um, the question of whether or not they come from. A different planet is almost irrelevant, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's right. almost irrelevant. It, it definitely is irrelevant in terms of the gospel. I mean, we know what the gospel is. The Bible tells us how to test the spirits. We know whether or not they come from other planets. You know, that's not a big. It really isn't that big of a deal. Um, and I'm certainly not hung up on it. I, I, I tend to, 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 as I said in the beginning, to, to doubt that uh, assertion, but. But again, it's neither here nor there. They are alien. When you even when you talk about the giants, they're not us. They're something other than us. They're not human. And so, um, and, and in one sense, did aliens build Pumapuku, for example? Well, yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> but it's not what you think. You know, talking in 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 um in terms of what the ancient alien people think. It's not what you think because they're excluding the gospel. Right. They're excluding the scriptures, and so they're coming up with some cockamamie weird thing based (laughs) on what? Based on based on lying entities, based on these entities who lie about who they are in the first place and obscure things, and they're not even looking at the evidence. And that's one of the amazing things is... When you're at Pumapunku, for example, for those who are familiar with ancient aliens, they, they, they're at Pumapunku. And by the way, I respect the work of the Ancient Aliens program. I respect David Hatcher Childers. He does great work. He's re- I love his book, um, Technology of the Gods. And um, and I love uh, uh, Brian Forster's work. And I respect those guys. But I just, they're wrong. They don't have a biblical perspective. So they're aiming in the right direction, but they're not hitting the bullseye. They can't because they don't accept that the bullseye is even there. Right. They, so they, they can only point in sort of the right direction, um, but they're never going to be spot on because they reject the gospel. Sure. And so, right. and so the pieces don't fit together without the gospel. It's impossible. So, yeah. So, yes. And when you're thinking about all of all the speculation and, and and conjectures concerning that place and aliens and it was an alien base and ufos used to land that's that's all great fine but where's the evidence for any of that number one number two you cannot ignore uh all the overwhelming amount of evidence that's pointing to the flood the great flood of noah giants and um and the whole biblical narrative i mean it's everywhere so it's ridiculous to stand there and say this was an alien 
base or this was a platform that UFOs used to land on and completely exclude the the fact that this place was obviously decimated in the flood of Noah. How do I know that? Because the Inca said it. And the right. Inca believed it was built by giants. And also the conquistadors said it. And the chroniclers said it. They believed that what they were looking at, this had to be pre-flood. Yeah. And this <laughs> was very likely built by giants. Why? Because giant bones were found there under the ground. <laughs> yeah. But yet you'll never hear that from the ancient alien people because they don't believe the Bible. And that's something actually really great about the film is that uh, uh, there's so much literature that you quote that I had never even heard before. And, you know, we've been doing this for a while now and nobody had ever quoted uh, that many sources of, you know, historical literature about people straight up talking about giants and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so definitely kudos for that. Now I have a question and it might be kind of silly or just not important, but this is something I've always sort of wondered with the, uh, uh the megalithic, uh, structures and the antediluvian technology and things like that. And that is that it all seems to be made out of rocks and why why rocks? I mean, if, if technology, if they had technology or if, I mean, maybe they just, maybe rocks are better. Is that what they're trying to tell us? Why is everything made of stone? Let me ask you this question. If uh -oh. our civilization was destroyed, this current civilization, which we live now, was destroyed, you know, thousands of years ago, 5,000 years ago, whatever, do you think that there would be any traces left of drywall? You think there'd be any traces left of of a lot of the kind of materials that we use after after thousands of years of being under the water and the ocean and the salt water and being buried under the ground and decomposing? You know, plastic takes a long time to decompose, but I'm sure a lot of it can decompose after five thousand years. And not only that, this is that's a that's a great question. Uh, I'm not belittling your question. I'm glad you asked it. Sure. Uh, we're not just dealing with stones. We're not just dealing with just, just rocks. We're dealing with stones that are cut with precision and vitrified. Okay. If you could easily cut and shape stones and, and create vitrified glass-like surfaces, just as easy it was, as easy, uh, as it is for you to lay bricks with mortar, which one would you do? I mean, you're going to do andesite volcanic rock cut with precision and vitrified over a far inferior technology, which is concrete and bricks. So when you look at the stones, think superior. Don't think inferior, think superior. Mm. Not when you look at the post-flood stuff, not when you look at the stuff that the Inca actually did build, not when you look at the stuff that the Sumerians built and so forth and so on and so forth, but when you look at what is pre-flood using megalithic stones with vitrified surfaces or as in the uh, megaliths that we discovered in uh, Sardinia coated with quartz uh, you're dealing with uh, the best material that's available and in many cases uh, the pieces that were in connecting and involved in there that uh, were not as durable as the stone have long since decomposed or been plundered or disappeared and, sure. and consider this as well um, after the According to the book of Enoch, after the flood, I mean, before the flood, uh, God sent certain angels, which are named in the book of Enoch, to do certain things. 
um, before the flood came, one of the angels was sent, can't remember exactly who, Uriel, Raphael, Michael, um, and Gabriel were, were, were four of the main players. One of them was sent to, 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 to stir up contention between the sons of the fallen angels, namely the giants, that they would fight in an epic battle and destroy each other, which they did. And their fathers, the fallen angels, would be forced to watch the demise and destruction of their children. By the way, an important point. It is stated in the book of Enoch and borne out in the New Testament that the spirits of those hybrid giants, and I don't believe just the giants, I believe all the hybrid entities, it is pronounced that they are neither of the spiritual realm or they are neither of the physical realm. They're neither of men or of angels. Again, unsanctioned beings that were not created by God. So because they could neither be, they, they, they could neither be attributed to the, fully to the angels in terms of their genetics and their nature or to the human race, they would become wandering spirits, unclean spirits on the earth. And they would wander hungry and not being able to fulfill their hunger because they didn't have bodies, thirsty, not being able to fulfill their, their desire to, for, for, uh, to drink water. They would be sexually uh, stimulated, but having no physical body to fulfill the lust of their flesh. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible torture. These are the unclean spirits that possess bodies, possess animals, possess humans. Why? They're looking for bodies. They're craving bodies. And one of the main reasons why they possess bodies is, is to be able to, um, um, to be able to experience, uh, the lusts of the flesh in the physical realm because mm, they're disembodied. Yeah. And it's a terrible thing for them. They're disembodied. Right. And, and, and so let me, and, and let me finish up on the question because this is a, the, the, I was going to, that was just a little, uh, uh, addendum there. The sure. a, the, one of those angels, uh, I forget which one, was in the book of Enoch, was commissioned to destroy, basically, to put it in, to paraphrase it, to destroy their empire, their civilization, and to bury it. I call it an angelic hazmat operation. So they were, they actually were charged with getting rid of this, the, the, this technology and this, whatever was existed, you know, whatever they had built in their civilization to decimate it, to destroy it so that there wouldn't be hardly a trace of it left. And I believe much of it is under the ice in Antarctica. I right. think that's, I think that yeah. whole deal was, was, was broken off and sent floating South to be frozen over. Right. Uh, now, because of the materials used that it was made to last forever, um, it stands to reason that maybe they were planning to use it either again or to use it continually or something like that. I mean, you visit um, a Stargate in there. I think it's called Amaru Muru. Yep. Is that uh, correct? Amaru, uh, yeah, you can say there's two different pronunciations to it. Amaru Muru. Um, and, uh, you know, it's made out of stone and there's a little spot there for some sort of disc or key or something. But, you know, there, there were reports in the film of people actually using it still. Mm, yeah, of, yeah of, of shamans being able to open it and disappearing into it. Um, I don't know whether or not it's an active Stargate or if it ever was a Stargate. I know there's a lot of New Age BS surrounding it, which I... Which, uh, which we show in the, in the film. And, it, and it's, its real name is Altarani, which we found out. when. That's why we actually went and did our investigation. And by the way, people ask me all the time, 
um, and, and, and I see him on the forum, some stuff saying, well, why did they do this? Ellie Marsuli already did this. And uh, two things. First of all, I respect Ellie Marsuli, like his work. I've only watched a couple of his watchers, never saw the ones where he was in Peru, know nothing about what he did there, except for that he did something with elongated skulls. But we went and did our own research. This is our own proprietary research. We were interested in the Stargate stuff. Aramamuru happened to be there in Peru. We were interested in Puma Punku. In the in the and and I don't I don't know whether or not um, uh, L.A. or anybody else has ever covered Puma Punku. I have no idea. But we did our own research. We we looked for our own historical documents. This is our own proprietary investigation. And if it resembles anything else, that's just it's just happenstance. And uh, we're not trying to co- obviously copy anybody. And 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 at the end of the day, we're all on the same team, anyways. Yeah, um, yeah. And we're all and we're all you know everything that Marsuli does and Tom Horn and and us and everybody else out there, you guys, we're all pushing the ball forward together collectively. So um, I just want to make that clear to people. Um, and one of the main reasons we went there, as I said in the beginning, was because it was it was it was it was, it was as you said, my stomping ground. And so, yeah, the, 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 what we show in Aramumuru, obviously something, it's very old, very ancient. It was pre-Inca for sure. We have no idea what it was used for. The legends say it was a Stargate. It very well may have been a Stargate. And whatever it is, we, we, and we show this in the film a little bit. We definitely had a very, we definitely passed a very interesting night in front of that thing because we camped out in front of it. And, uh, I was starting to wonder maybe this isn't all, you know, just new age BS when, when we were getting pelted with, with, uh, with incredible, with incredibly dense hail for over an hour. And I mean, it was, it, 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 we were in, the, it was the worst storm I've ever actually been in, in front of this alleged Stargate wow. that all kind of demonic activity does happen around. And, uh, so we endured a very cold, uh, to a degree frightening night i mean we weren't you know we were we were more joking and laughing than we were anything else but we were definitely concerned that that uh our tent was going to get ripped to shreds wow. by the hail and that would that would have hurt <laughs> yeah definitely you know some of these you had talked about some of the technologies that have you know been buried and it's interesting because joseph farrell in a couple of his books uh, and, you know, Joseph Farrell does not come at some of the stuff from the biblical worldview. He's actually pretty hostile towards Christianity. Uh, but I think he's another one of those guys that's done pretty good research and in terms of just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, finding stuff out, connecting dots, things like that. He talks about the Tablets of Destinies, and he looks at the Sumerian literature, and, um, you know, he talks about how some of it reads like an inventory of these gods sort of, you know, going through their items list. And, uh, you know, there's some drama between certain gods uh sometimes he talks about marduk uh and uh, you know obviously enlil and enki sort of battling for this technology or whatever mm-hmm. and uh and one of the things he discusses from his reading of the sumerian literature is that a lot of this and it echoes what you were talking about in enoch which is that you know a lot of the technology was destroyed and and it was a purposeful destruction however there are certain technologies that could not be destroyed and um I, I've always wondered, like, what is that technology? And also, do you think that, you know, the reason for the military and stuff being in Iraq all the time and, you know, some of this stuff going on geopolitically, uh, you know, I've always been under the speculation and suspicion 
that they're looking for this technology. Even ISIS, you know, going around breaking stuff. And uh, you know, what are your thoughts there? Do you think they're actually looking for some kind of uh, some? Yeah, of this I do. they're always looking for it. They're always looking for it. Uh, um, uh, remember the the craft flying above my head? I, I said it was reverse engineered. Well, I think it comes from the antediluvian world, the world before the flood of Noah. That's the kind of technology I think they had, and. Um, you know, you look at the pyramids and everything like that. Well, that's what's left. I mean, that's the that's that's the 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 rubble that's left mm. uh, after it was all absolutely decimated and buried and sunk to the bottom of the of the abyss and frozen over under Antarctica and 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 blown to pieces by probably the angels just destroying it and blowing it up and and not to mention the wars that they had with each other before uh, the angels did their what i refer to as their hazmat operation so yeah i mean these guys are are like i said they're they're aiming in the right direction absolutely when they when they're when they're finding evidence of of the technology and the wars and the nuclear blasts i think they're 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 absolutely right that that stuff was going on um but again because they reject the gospel they're never going to hit the target mm. in fact in fact, they're going to be setting people up and, and setting themselves up for the for the delusion, the deception that's coming. Mm. Um, but but we, you know, we think we're so technologically advanced because we have Facebook and Twitter and the internet, and and because you know we've got cell phones and so forth. But these are all um, these are all information technologies. These are these are communication technologies. But when you talk about um, our aircraft and our and, and, and our and our vehicles and and you know you, you reference combustion you know our combustion engines are very primitive they're not that advanced they're really not so we look at the internet which we're talking on right now and we go oh my god we're so advanced but it's very possible that these entities would have had no use for an internet or cell phones or the kind of technology gadgets that we use. These guys would have been thinking on a much larger, grander scale, such as building a city on Mars or, you know, atomic bomb level stuff. But we have a very uh, crude form of technology. We, we think we're so great. We, you know, we just can't imagine a civilization not having, you know, the internet and, and oh my God, it's so great that we have these cell phones and, and all this gadgets that we have. But this is not really high technology. High technology is the kind of stuff I saw flying over my head as I was sitting in that car. High technology is Stargate technology. High right. te technology is jumping space and, and being able to um, harmonic levitation and 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 really really advanced genetic manipulation, you know we're just we're just we're just uh, just beginning to 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 enter the very outer fringe of this stuff. Uh, we overestimate what we have now, and we look back and we try and compare it to what might have been then, and it's hard to equate because we're dealing with a completely different level uh, of. Of technology, the mechanisms that were in play back then were in play for different reasons, and were being employed by non-human entities, mm. and and so it's a completely again we've got this humanistic paradigm that we're stuck in. You know, we're all stuck in it, and it's hard to break out of it. Sure. Yeah. Now, so you have this first episode of your series. What's coming up next for the next episode? Uh, the next episode, we're still in Peru. It's actually, it's actually at the end of this, you'll see to be continued because the next episode, we're still in Peru. We're still on the same kind of a uh, journey. Um, we just cover some different stuff. 
Uh, we go around the Cusco area. We take a look, a look at some stuff there. But we're really going to be focusing on the cover-up in part two. I mean, in episode two. Yeah. Um, we have proof that there is an underground uh, tunnel system that's that's very advanced, that was engineered, that runs at least from Cusco all the way to Tiwanaku, hundreds of miles wow. under the ground. And so we have proof of that. And um, so we're going to be dealing a lot with that kind of stuff. Um and it's still, you know, it's, it's being edited and, and we're still putting it together right now. But um, uh, and then we'll be out of Peru for the episode after that. But episode two is still in Peru. And, and, and before I forget to say, uh, obviously, Technology of the Fallen, episode one in our True Legends documentary series is obviously out. It's available for both DVD purchase and for rent on Vimeo. And it's, you know, you can, obviously you guys have seen the Vimeo version. You can stream the, the HD Vimeo version, uh, now. The DVDs are, are going to be shipping later. You can order the DVDs now and you can go to truelegendstheseries.com, truelegendstheseries.com, um, to, uh, for more information and, 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 and the links to be able to, 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 to purchase and rent the documentary. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Wow. Well, there you go, everybody. Make sure to check that out. Rent it on Vimeo. I did. It's 2015. It's, it's fancy stuff. Um, do you have any other websites or anything like that that you want to uh, uh, let people know about? No, just truelegendstheseries.com. Obviously, people can always be checking in with stevequail.com. And um, and uh, that's it. <laughs> truelegendstheseries.com, stevequail.com. Well, sounds good. Well, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation and an even more fascinating film. Recommend everybody go check it out. Tim Alberino, do you have any last words before we let you get to bed here? Yes. Let me say this. It's a fascinating conversation because, because of the platform that you guys have provided for it. You guys are open-minded, not scared to talk about this stuff, and so I commend you for that. And uh, this has definitely been one of the funnest conversations i've had um doing the rounds on the uh on the uh, interviews in the radio nice Woo! and we didn't even touch on cern or like we didn't even go places you know you can no, come back for like oh, we went places man <laughs> we went to peru we went to no but this is very fun actually i agree this has been great um we haven't put out an episode in a little while here so this will definitely um get people excited and and I think uh, uh, we can carry on what we've been doing. And we thank you again, Mr. Tim Alberino. Get some sleep, buddy. Thank you, guys. Blessings. Right. So there you have it, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to check us out on Facebook, on the YouTubes. we got a cool YouTube channel now. All sorts of different stuff going on there. Um, also, iTunes, I guess, is where you're listening. Uh, give us a review or a thumbs up or a star or whatever. Wherever you are listening to this, do it. Do it now. Or don't if you didn't like this. But you should have liked it. It was great. All right. If you liked this episode with Tim Alberino as much as I did and you feel led by the spirit and you feel edified and educated and, and just just good warm and fuzzies um and you feel like you want to give to canary cry financially to help us keep the lights on over here you can go to canarycryradio.com click on the support tab and there 
you can sign up for a monthly donation. And if you sign up for a monthly donation of $15 or more, then you get our cool USB archive project thingy. And that is awesome because you can have it in physical form, put it in your bug out bag, put it in your apocalypse bunker, and you know, when the internet goes out, Canary Cry Radio disappears. But not if you have that. So if you would do a monthly donation of $15 or more, we'll just, we're just going to send it to you. We'll just give it to you because we're buddies. We're best buddies. But if commitment's not your thing, you can definitely make a one-time donation and help us keep going. And that's at canarycryradio.com in the support tab. Woo! All right. Is that it? Yes. Okay. That's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage. Cue more sound effects.